you can't assume that a company is a quote unquote good prospect or this would be a great client. Like you have no idea, you have no control. You can't determine what's going to be a good meeting or not. You can't control anything in this business. And I think the sooner you accept that and get comfortable with it, the less your anxiety will fluctuate and the more detached you can be. That's Quinn Damon, Vice President of Locked In Companies. In this episode, he joins Dan to share the real-world experiences from his sales career and the tough lessons he's learned along the way. Listen as he breaks down the ways he's grown from his mistakes and how becoming an elite performer is all about the process and putting in the hard work. I'm Kylie Schmitz. I'm Dan Lappin, and this is Breaking Sales, a nonconformist take on rejecting the sales status quo. Join the Lappin 180 team as we break the tried and died sales tactics and techniques that are failing you and your prospects. So let's talk about the lows. Those are always opportunities to learn and get better. So what are some of the things that come to mind that you've had to learn over the past four years? I would say early on, I never sold before in my life, before this role. My background was more of a subject matter expert in my space, but never sales. Though like most people, I I assumed I thought what sales were. Just explain that your widget's better. So I would say the first four to five months, I did what a lot of people do in my industry. You just, it's kind of all to sell to all my friends and family. And that failed miserably. My own college roommate actually owned a company that was right in my specialty. And I I didn't get that. I was like, oh, for my first six. And my whole approach was like, hey, let me just look at your stuff and tell you how much better I can make it, which is just going from A to Z without learning the full alphabet. And a lot of losses in the beginning, a lot of very humbling experiences. The funniest one with my college roommate, I think so much of this job is trying to uncover the things you probably don't want to know. And that was such a great lesson because I then found out that his broker was his uncle. So it was like, what? why am I even in this position? Why did I just burn two months into this? So it's just a funny story of just, that's one of those, if you could do it over again, you may not even do it. The first five months was a lot of, man, this is a, this is a lot harder I knew it'd be really hard, but it was even then harder than I even imagined. So when you think about the top three lessons that you've learned so far, what would be number one, two, and three in terms of lessons learned on this sales career that you're on? I would say first and foremost is there there really is no shortcut. It's just the work. I always say in this role, the work, whatever people come in, they think it takes, it always takes 10x from an effort and commitment and focus standpoint. And it's really sobering I, once you realize that and, and realize what it takes. But the sooner you can do that, the faster you'll succeed because you, you quit fooling yourself as to thinking what's going to get it done. One of the best lessons is just you can't assume that a company is a quote unquote good prospect or this would be a great client. Like you have no idea, you have no control. You can't determine what's going to be a good meeting or not. You can't control anything in this business. And I think the sooner you accept that and get comfortable with it, the less your anxiety will fluctuate and the more detached you can be not trying to make every meeting this Don Draper moment where it blow everybody's mind because it just doesn't work that way. It requires you know, really asking tough questions that, again, sometimes you may get an answer that then makes you realize that this is one of those situations where this will never be a client and this may never be a fit. And I just have to be okay with that and exit stage left. But you have to force yourself to uncover those truths, whether you want to hear them or not. When you think about there are no shortcuts, you have to work your ass off 
what does that represent? What are some of the learning and some of the experiences you've had around that? Everyone thinks, oh, you go into this business and it's like most service sales. You think, oh, my, my dad's buddy does this, or I know a guy that does this. Those will be clients. And you learn right away that barely any of that comes to fruition whatsoever. One of the best producers in our company gave a presentation once where 25 years ago when he started, he had a list of like 100 close family contacts that he thought would be clients. And in a 27-year career, and he's number one in the country, he wrote two of those. So I always use that as an example when I talk to new people that are starting. Whoever you think is going to be a client, just get that out of your head because they're not going to be. Once you realize that your entire foundation of your livelihood is going to be based on people you've never met and they're complete strangers you may not even know exist, that's where that hard work kicks into gear where it's like, okay, well then I'm going to have to really hustle to even get in front of these certain people. And then of that percentage, only 3% may even lead to an opportunity. So it was just really understanding that there's just a lot of sweat equity that goes into even getting an opportunity. And that's the cold calling, the research, the just, it's not sexy, but it's just hours burnt on hustling to try to get in front of people. And again, you still can't even at that point control whether or not it's going to be an opportunity. How did you set your process up? Can you share a little bit with our listeners of the effort, the time, the process that you had to put into that? I'd never cold called in my life before. Actually, the very first cold call I ever made, I called this guy. I got the CFO on the line. Like my very first call, it was like my third day, and like my, I freaked out and gave like my quick spiel, which I probably butchered to hell. And the CFO goes, "That's great, but I'm already a client of Lockton. So what do you do there?" And you talk about getting off to hell of a start, not even checking the client master and calling a client. My very first call was pretty humbling. But I grew up in team sports. And so Pam, my fifth month, I worked with her and having a coach. And it was just like, I've never done this. Just tell me what the hell to do and I'll do it. And I began a very strict process of calling X amount of new companies every week and putting that into a cadence. And I'm a big numbers guy and I'm big on data. And so in an imperfect business where it's all about the amount of opportunities, I backed into a pseudo equation of, I need to reach out to X amount of companies to get Y amount of opportunities to write Z amount of accounts to survive. And that's evolved over the years. Obviously, as you have some success, then some of that may, your strategies may evolve or the numbers may evolve, but the core process hasn't changed. It just may be tinkering with some of the components within the numbers. On those days where you're exhausted, or it may be even toward the end of the week, you just had one of those long days or long weeks and you feel like you got nothing left in the tank. How do you keep yourself going to make sure that you're doing your outreach? It's funny. When I ventured into this role, I, I sat down with one of my uncles who had done this business for years and I asked for advice, expecting some grandiose explanation of how to do it. And he basically just said, you'll be fine because this is the kind of job where you won't fail if you don't let yourself fail. And I know that sounds incredibly simple and dumbed down, but I think there's truth in that. It's the same thing if you're working out or you're trying to run a certain time. You can let yourself quit and you will, but if you mentally just tell yourself, I'm not going to fail at this, in those moments, you can just find that extra ounce of energy to just do the work and trust that there's going to be some sort of outcome on the other end. So that, that was a big motivating thing for me is just to remind myself, you're not going to fail. Don't let yourself fail. And another thing I always liked was I'm a big uh, football fan. I, I loved Mizzou, but our old coach always had this slogan in the locker room and it was, it said, burn your boat. And it's back to the, I believe it's Greek mythology about this army was invading an island and, and the general burned all the boats once they got on shore. So it's okay. There's no going back. So you're either going to win or you're going to die, but we're not quitting. 
So when you think about the second big learning that you've had in sales, it's all about you only can control yourself. You can't control how the prospect responds. You can't control if they answer the phone, if they have an interest, if your timing's any good. What are some of the adjustments that you've made so that you don't get caught up in all that, where you're able to focus on what you can control? One of my first years, we went to this national producer meeting and there's this producer out of California, I think his name's Tim Noonan, and he gave this presentation and he puts prospects into four buckets. And he said, this is the secret to this business. And so obviously my ears perked up, laid on me. So even keel, which is your buyer who's hemming and hawing and doesn't have strong conviction one way or the other about his current situation raises eyebrows at a couple of nuggets. Yeah, that'd be nice. But like you don't leave with an action plan one way or the other. Overconfident is the buyer that tells you how good his guy is. Oh yeah, we do that. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Nope. We're good there. Shuts you down at every corner. And his advice was for the overconfident buyer, get out of the room as fast as you can. Every minute you waste in that room is a minute you're not setting up another meeting with, with a potential buyer. Even keel, they're nice, maybe keep in touch, but by no means hit your wagon. The other two are the ones you absolutely want to invest in, and that's growth and trouble. Trouble's easy. It's the one that happens once or twice a year where you sit down with someone and they're like, yeah, I want to fire my guy. I'm pissed off. What do you got? You'll get one or two of those a year just to keep you, just to give you a glimpse that, hey, this job's easy, but you can't count it. But the growth one's the one where you sit down, yeah, actually, we're about to triple in size over the next five. I look for when I sit down with a buyer and I say, what's your plan look like the next couple of years? If they don't articulate one back to me, that tells me that they're not in a growth stage. They're not in a growth mindset because a good operator that has a succinct growth plan is going to be able to relay it to me very eloquently with a very defined measurement. Right? I can say, okay, here's how I can plug into that. But if you ask that question, you're met with a, just keep doing what we're doing. And then I know, okay, this guy's even keel. He doesn't have a lot of conviction about what he's doing. So I really took that presentation from Tim as religion and what I do. And I, I still say it to new producers today. I'm like, I look for trouble and growth. I've gotten really good at the overconfident ones. I've ended meetings in six minutes. I'm not going to burn calories trying to win somebody over if they don't want to listen to it. And, and some people may disagree with that. And I totally get it. I'm just big on, you only have so much ammunition to use. You might as well use it on good targets. So when you do that, what do you say to the prospect when you're kind of sensing that's a very strong reality, what, what do you tell them? Obviously, I'm always polite, but something along the lines of, hey, sounds like you've got a phenomenal relationship going. If, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I don't want to waste too much of your time. How about we just keep in touch? And they're going to reciprocate that because they want me to get the hell out of their office anyway. And they'll be like, sounds great. Awesome. Thanks for coming by. And if I can get out of there in 15 minutes, great. I get my time back. Let's go to the third thing you mentioned, which I know you've worked really hard at. And this is something I know that most sales professionals struggle with incredibly, asking tough questions. When you think about asking tough questions, how do those questions differ from like normal questions? Is there something different that's going on in the conversation? The tougher questions come after you've had some time to, to get to know the person and establish a comfortable style of communication, whatever that may be. And they come in, I think, in crucial moments, probably when you're past that initial introductory stage. It's probably more come around in the middle. If you look at a sales deal from starting your own goal line to scoring a touchdown, it's probably more when you're in the red zone of now they're actually considering some tough decisions to make. And I found what helps most is practicing them because they still don't always come naturally. My human nature definitely is always to just be like, 
oh yeah, no worries. Don't worry about it. When you should be turning into certain things or challenging them on the thought process. So historically, ones were, it's really played out well. I've role played it beforehand and I've practiced it. So when it comes real time, it comes across a lot more naturally in that moment. When you practice, do you have a particular way you approach it? Are there particular skills that you practice? Is there a particular process? I would say most of it is centered around real life examples, which makes it the easiest to get tuned in. And it's just playing out these conversations with peers or with Pam of here's the situation. Here's what I need to find out. What's the best way to ask it? What if they say this? You lay out the script ahead of time with choose your own adventure paths based on what they may come back with and actually talking that out to someone to help them become your words because you've said it. Now it's in your head and it's more natural. They're never my ideas. I'm always getting this from Pam or from a peer that's looking at it with fresh eyes. I take their ideas and then I use it on the field. And sometimes you're amazed at what comes from it when you do ask those questions that inherently you may not think to ask. It's always kind of fun to watch it play out in real time because it's you're on the edge of your seat. Do you have a process of making sure that your mindset is right where it needs to be before you ask? that tougher question or you make that tougher statement or observation? I don't know if I have to prepare a mindset as much as over time I've just developed a mindset where I've gotten really comfortable with just accepting that I'm not going to get a a deal or I, I can walk away and I'll be fine. And that's key getting to the point where you can ask it because you're okay with it not being the answer you want and the whole thing being over at that point in time, as opposed to dragging it out another two weeks with follow-ups and, Hey, have you made a decision yet? Like, I want to get to the yes or no as fast as I can, as beneficial. And if you're truly okay not getting hired, then you truly do say the best things and ask the the right questions because you're genuinely curious and trying to help them with the outcome. But if you don't have a ton of activity going on and tons of other stuff, then you're not going to be in a mindset to be okay with that deal walking away or you walking if you need to. Can you think of a particular tough question in the past where you knew it was the right thing to ask, but it was one that you maybe you had to practice to make sure that you got your words the way you felt about it correct. But you knew when you were going to ask it that there was going to be a pretty distinctive either this was going to be the conversation shortly after you asked it or something else was going to be part of the conversation shortly after you asked it. Yeah, this one's actually, this is one's a, a fun story. And I still remember it because it was a huge pivot point in my career. There was this company in Huntington, West Virginia. And I had met the owner at a conference that led to a meeting. And they were going to leave their broker, but they were talking to us out of Kansas City, who they just met a month ago. And this local firm in Huntington that they probably see every weekend at church, they all know each other. It's very intimate. It's a small community. And gave our presentation feeling good. And I called the owner. I think this was on a Thursday. And the owner's like, hey, we're down to you and this local firm. But my CFO's really hung up on you guys not being local. He's kind of giving me warm and fuzzies, but also giving me another feeling of we may not get this. But I remember just saying, would it help if we came to your office next week? And he goes, yeah, actually, I think it would. Could you be here Monday? So I'm looking there, it's Thursday afternoon in Kansas City to get to Huntington, West Virginia, as you can imagine, there's no direct flights. But I was like, yeah, we'll be there. And it ended up being the only way to get there was to take the company plane, which comes with a pretty hefty personal price tag. But again, you're like, screw it, I got to go for this. 
And I remember I role played the whole conversation with Pam to map it out. And she came up with this question to ask. And I looked at the CFO and I said, let me ask you this question. All things being equal, let's say that we're still in Kansas City and this firm is in Pittsburgh instead of Huntington, West Virginia. What value do they bring you if you hire them? And it was funny because this owner is very boisterous. And the owner goes, exactly. And just started screaming. And the CFO, he just sat there and he goes, you know what? You're right. And we got him as a client. We've had him for going on three, four years now. But I... I would have never thought to ask that. I hope this comes across that that was not me. That was all Pam, but it was the coaching and the role playing to get really comfortable in that clutch moment to ask that question. What'd you learn about yourself in that moment? I think I learned that, and everyone's got different skill sets and personalities that they will find buyers. There's a hundred people that will buy from me. I just have to find those hundred people. And there's certain people that won't buy from me, but they may buy from one of my partners who's wired totally differently. And so just being authentic and honest and being able to have the, those kind of exchanges, I think is impactful. You know, also as I've, I've grown in this career, I just went through this a couple of weeks ago. I went through an RFP with a client who went public. So they had to do an RFP. And my client gave me all of their written RFPs, all the oral presentations, everything. And I loved getting it because it was it's always a good reminder that we all do the exact same stuff. Everyone has the same technology. Everyone has the same analytics. Everyone has the same resources. They may brand it differently and it may have a different color scheme, but they're all the exact same. So it's always a good reminder that in this business, you're not going to win on widgets or resources. It's going to be about how you're connecting with those people and the kind of conversations you're having to get them to like the way you think about it, right? What is your strategy around things? And it was just a good reminder in that moment, again, we didn't get that deal because we said we're 20 times the size of these guys. They don't know what they're doing. It was getting to a real conversation and having some uncomfortable questions that I think got it over the hump to where then we could connect and do business. Can you think of another tough conversation moment with a prospect where you learned a little bit about yourself and you learned a little bit about human dynamics or this whole idea of having tough, meaningful conversations. That same year, actually, there was a similar common theme of being out of town in our business. That's pretty common for what we do. It's not common in the industry, but similar thing. It was a prospect in Tulsa down to the goal line. And again, the only hanging linchpin was you're not local. And it was Something along the same line. This was different because they weren't deciding between us or another new broker. It was, do they break their current relationship and come to us or do they stay pat? And same thing, I talked to my peer group, Pam, workshops and stuff. And I think it was along the lines of, hey, help me understand the importance of location. Can you give me a couple examples where that's been really crucial for you guys? And uh, same kind of thing. She kind of was searching for an answer and she goes, you know what? Honestly, I've seen you more in the last year than I've seen them. And then everyone started laughing and then it was okay. But it was, again, it wasn't, don't worry, we'll be here whenever you need us, which I think is a lot of people's gut reaction when people bring up locations like, don't worry, we'll be here. That's you telling them it's not a problem. That's not them realizing it's not a problem. And so that was another aha moment where, again, got the client, had it sense. I think you nailed something there. Great example of you can't tell people something's not a problem. They have to come to that conclusion on their own. And that's exactly what your story exemplifies. When you think about the next three to five years, what's on your mind for you? I would say I'm trying to run as fast and hard as I can at the current moment to build up as much as I can. Just got married in the last year. Now the next phase of my life will be having a family and doing this job, which I know 
some of my peers do this with kids, which is crazy. And, and that's a whole new skill set I'm going to have to learn. I'm trying a squirrel, just loading up on a bunch of you know nuts. I'm trying to just load up as much as I can right now, go as fast and hard as I can, because the next three to five years, hopefully I'll have a family. And so I know then all of a sudden I'll have to totally change my process and, and pivot what that looks like. So the more relationships and, and clients I can establish now, will hopefully down the road, right? Maybe it's less hours spent and maybe being a little bit more strategic with that time I'm, that is available and still making it effective where I can still produce at the level I need to. Are there particular skills or behaviors or things that you already know that you want to continue or get better at and improve or learn over the next three or five years? I think what I'm trying to really work on is get dialed in with my core and being so dialed into what I know, think, believe, and feel with what I do in my business. So new deals, activity, right? As your day gets more and more condensed with available time, being able to cut through and make faster, quicker, efficient decisions on every aspect of what I do in this business. As I talk about, you only have so much energy and time, knowing that's going to evolve for me in the next three to five years, getting so dialed into a point where being even more honed in on those four buckets that Noonan had talked about, moving even quicker through deals or conversations and getting quicker to the tougher questions and the real conversations that need to happen in certain deals or decisions so that just move more efficiently. I look at a guy like some of our bigger producers, these guys, they're making constant decisions and movements that are just creating a flurry of activity and not getting bogged down and overthinking things and what I'd call dead air time, thinking about what you should be doing and instead just doing it more efficiently. We both know it's a learning opportunity, but if you think about like your biggest Mistake, not failure, but a mistake that you learn from what comes to mind. Oh, there's a bunch. There are always little things that you end up losing a deal where you look back and go, man, at least I learned that for the future. But one was early on, it was one of my first big opportunities and uh, felt really good about it. Didn't get it. And at the end, the, I took two people with me. I thought less is more. And some other broker showed up with like 20 people and the IT guy. It was just absurd. And so they said they felt like they were more in the weeds than us. And it goes back to, again, they didn't pitch anything different. It was the feeling. And it was like, man, that's a great lesson learned of in the future. And I've done it every deal since. I'm going to ask, here's my team chart. Who do you want to be there? Because I'm not going to play the guessing game again of should I bring more or less people? Because I remember when I got that call that I didn't get it. And everyone knows that call. It's the worst feeling when they call you. And you can just tell in the tone in the first second, well, I didn't get this deal. And that one was really, really heavy. But, you know, my silver lining was, I'm going to ask that question every damn time. I had another one similar like that, where sometimes don't leave too much to chance. It's the little follow-up things after all the big circus presentations. And then they're asking cleanup questions, but being really dialed into that. I've had, I had one where I left it too much to other folks and didn't really put my fingerprint on it. And that ended up being why we didn't get the deal. It was like one certain question that they asked two brokers and they didn't like the way we answered it. But it was just me as a producer. I should have gotten in the weeds more and made sure that our folks were thinking about it the right way when giving the response as opposed to just saying, you guys got it, I trust you. And not that I don't trust them, but I, I should have just gotten more engaged. So I'll ask you this just to round it out. Do you have a favorite moment? I would say my second year probably, there was a deal I was working on that was way over my skis from a size and complexity standpoint. It's one of those first ones where you're like, oh, wow, like this is big. And I had, and I brought in a senior partner, but still, it's the first time you realize you're in a stadium, if that makes sense. 
And I remember it got down to the wire and there was all these back and forth calls and hemming and hawing. And I'll never forget, it was all around how we were going to structure our fee because it was like a fee at risk component of how much money we were going to save them. And we kept exchanging all these spreadsheets and, and they kept coming back with questions and they're talking to us and two others. And I remember being on the phone with the general counsel and we had sent our latest rendition of, hey, what about this? And he was coming back. And I remember it was one of those moments where your instinct just takes over and you can get out of, not to discredit everything we just talked about, but just because being yourself. And I remember just saying, Adam, just tell me what you want this to look like to get this deal done. Just tell me what you want it to be. And he said, okay, can you do this and this? And I said, yes. And he said, all right, let me call you back. You know, and 30 minutes later, he calls us and we got the deal. And I remember I lost it, just running around the halls, hugging everybody. But it was like, it was a fun moment of just, being in the moment and just cutting through the bullshit of spreadsheets and all that. And I was like, do you want to do business with us? Tell me what you want it to look like. It was one of those moments where he finally just said, okay, I'm just going to ask him. I'm just going to ask him and see where he takes it. I don't know how he's going to answer, but we're going to find out. Yeah. And it was awesome. Been a great client ever since. So yeah, that, that was a fun moment. Thanks for listening to Breaking Sales. If you want to get engaged with us outside of this podcast, be sure to go to our website, lapin180.com. That's lappin dot 180com And there you'll find information on upcoming workshops, different events we're doing throughout the United States, ways to engage with us on social media, as well as a form where you can suggest topics or guests for the podcast. We want to hear from you, so don't be shy. I lay out. All right. Do we have another episode?